0: Welcome to episode 50 of the Kratom Sobriety Podcast. I'm Charlie, and I'm with Decima today, and we have a milestone we're going to celebrate. I understand you just hit nine months Kratom free, Decima. How does it feel?
1: I did, and it actually feels pretty amazing. Yeah, it's like a whole new life. Not to be dramatic, but yeah, it's pretty amazing. Thanks for um, asking.
0: Yeah, and we have an interview this week with Kim, and she's at about three months clean She went the route, she went to a detox center. And you're hearing more and more of this, people using a short-term course of Suboxone to get through the acute withdrawals. And it's usually under the supervision of a a doctor at a facility like this. And she just herself moved out of a sober living facility and is up on the upswing too. So we'll have that interview this week.
1: Can't wait to hear that.
0: And we're going to tackle a subject, Desima and I, we have bad news. We're going to have to rename the podcast, the Kratom Dependency Podcast, because <laughs> there's no such thing as Kratom Addiction at the worst. It's a an dependency. And anybody who's ever talked about it online has probably experienced this. These The, the fact checker is correcting you. When we talk about the difference between dependency and addiction, we're aware that there's a difference and it's a difference with a distinction. Dependency, just with layman's terms, is like a substance that creates tolerance, and you have a physical reliance on it, and if when you stop taking it, you have withdrawal symptoms. That's usually what dependency is. You might experience that with antidepressant, a coffee, other types of substances and prescriptions, maybe even some over-counter medications. An addiction is when you have the dependency, either physical or psychological, or, and usually both, but you keep taking that substance despite negative consequences and you find it hard to quit. And, and there might, you might have some debate that the consequences of a cranium addiction might not be as dire as some of the known hard drugs, but I, I think we've interviewed enough people here to, Establish it, it is possible <laughs> to have a creative addiction, but it's not just people confused between dependency and, and the terminology.
1: I- fully grasp that there there is a distinction between the two. And it is possible for somebody to be dependent on something without being addicted. Yes, I get that. And it's also possible to be addicted to something that you're not physically dependent on. But to me, it's okay. So you're saying it's not addictive. It's only physically dependent as if that's not bad, as if that's not the Actually, one of the worst parts of being addicted, for me, they go hand in hand, for me personally and for most of us as addicts, especially with opioids, you're going to see the dependency and the addiction hand in hand. I find it funny because people, a lot of times I'll see them use that argument out there in the community that this is usually the procratum people, of course. It's not addictive. It's dependent. You're dependent on it, but they'll also, in the same breath, they will say sugar is addictive too, and caffeine, those are addictive too, but you will never see them say that when it comes to comparing it to something like, say, fentanyl. You never say see people saying, Oh yeah, is addictive, but so is sugar. You know what I mean? It's just crazy to me because it's come on. You know that Kratom is more like fentanyl than sugar. So then a lot of people wanna say, Oh, addiction will make you go out and do things steal and lie and hello. Some of us did that on Kratom. <laughs> like literally stole and lied and spent money I shouldn't have spent and hit it and but most of us that are listening to this podcast can probably relate to both sides of that coin. How about you?
0: When they add the what about sugar and what about caffeine and what about these other things, what about smartphones? Social <laughs> media is addictive. And yeah, that adds a whole other layer of whataboutism to it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I know some of it's public relations. If you use a, a euphemism dependency the terminology just gets caught up in the, the debate about regulation and prohibition. And the procreative side constantly wants to minimize any consequences and any risks. And then they accuse us of exaggerating when it's just not the case. In the WhatsApp groups, I'm in several. One of the worst case stories is the feel free folks. That's a very expensive product and people buy it by the case. And I've hear, heard people spending $70, $100 a day and stealing money from their family, $20,000 credit card bills, bankruptcy. Those are it's a serious addiction that you do not see with somebody that have, eats two bowls of Fruit Loops every night
1: right more. taking more than we sh- need sometimes it starts out you take just enough for pain but then you start taking more and you know that you don't need it that's addictive that's addiction you know what i'm saying there's definitely so
0: some of the signals of addiction is behavior that you don't want to do despite your intentions you're not living to your own set of values so spending more time on it having consequences whether they're health Personal relationship, financial, these things adding up and you continuing relapsing, quitting and relapsing. All these things are signals of an addiction that are beyond just a dependency.
1: How many times do we hear in the Kratom community, the quitting community that I can't do this? You know what I'm saying? That's an addiction, or you do it and you go right back to it. I just want to say that it's easy to get caught up in this debate because sometimes we just really want to educate people when we see and we want those warnings out there. So I'm a firm believer in putting that word out there and then ignoring any arguments because somebody might read it. But it really helps if you keep in mind that what it comes down to for these people that are arguing with us, you hit on it already, Charlie, it's fear. They're afraid of two things. They're afraid that maybe they might be addicted to. That's scary. And they're also afraid that we might cause them to lose their precious drug that they are addicted to. They're afraid that if we speak the truth, it may become illegal. So I look at it from that point of view and it gives me an attitude of grace with people. And so I don't want to argue so much and just put that word out there. Yeah. We'll see you guys in the recovery meetings. We'll be here.
0: Yeah. That's why we're here for it. Sometimes you have to resign from the debating society. Congratulations on your nine months.
1: Thank you. I can't wait till it's a year. Almost there.
0: Yeah. And now for our interview with Kim. So Today on the podcast, we have an interview with Kim. We welcome you to the pod.
2: Hey there, Charlie. Thanks for having me on today. Hopefully this will be helpful. My name is Kim. I am 50 years old. I've got three kids. I divorced. I live in Texas. When did you quit Kratom? So I quit. Actually, I've got about three months now. November 16th was my last Kratom dose.
0: All right. And how did you get introduced to taking Kratom?
2: So I've, I've got a history of other stuff. And I remember I was working out with a girlfriend of mine and I got a phone call and she said, Hey, him." I just went down to the head shop down there. This guy told me about this stuff called Kratom and he said, have you ever tried it? And I, and she said, no, what is it? And it was this elixir stuff. And he said, oh, it's just like taking a Percocet. And she was like, no way. She didn't believe it. And she said, like, I bought it. And oh my gosh, this stuff is really good. And I remember thinking, don't tell me that. I don't really want to know this. And uh, yeah, it's, I am who I am. So I was really curious and I think I was down there within the next 24 hours and I bought it. And then the next day, I was down there buying 12 of them.
0: How long ago was that?
2: Probably about 2010, 2011. It was about a year before I got divorced the first time. So...
0: When you used Kratom, were you a powder user, an extract user, or a little bit of everything?
2: I think in the beginning, you use what works. The It was like, I think they called it the elixir. It was the liquid. It was like a little bottle. And it really, yeah, it wasn't a Percocet, but it was darn close it was close enough and it was supposed to be non-addictive. It was supposed to be natural. It's legal. They're selling it at the head shop. It must be okay. I started on those until they got really expensive, but it didn't take long. Where I live, there was there's a lot of land in Texas, so there was a nursery out there and they used to sell the powder and i used to go in and you'd buy a little you could buy the capsules or you could buy this in bulk you could capsule it yourself it was cheaper and then if you bought it huge amounts you got it wholesale it was so much cheaper so i used to buy it there and i used to drive the 45 minutes over there all the time until eventually you find somebody online who sells it to you wholesale for super cheap
0: how many grams per day were you using and were you using it daily right away
2: Oh, right away. Absolutely. <laughs> right away I was using it. And it was a long time ago now. So I think I remember I started, in order to feel something, I think I started with four capsules. And I don't even know if I did the measurements for the grams. I think uh, you and I even worked it out. It was probably like 30 grams a day is what I was ending up on. Probably there was quite a few years there where I probably used double that but that's where I ended. It was about 30 grams a day, but I remember taking four capsules and that's what it took for me to feel it. And I would probably for the first year, the first time before I withdrew for the first time, it was oh, probably three, four times a day. And I don't think I, I think I was able to get on and off of it pretty easily within about three months. But I think after that four month mark is when it got its hooks in me and then I had a problem. And then that's when I got scared.
0: sounds like you were mostly a capsule user during that period.
2: So it was cheaper and it was easier to take. You could just hide them and you just put them in. You put them in a vitamin bottle and then nobody questioned it. And know, yeah, I actually remember I had I had ordered some kind of vitamins that was like a they were like a gut cleanse and the just the directions on the bottle even said take ten capsules at a time, and I would put them in there in case anybody questioned why I was taking nine capsules or ten capsules at a time. So I'm just doing this. So it only worked once because you're only supposed to do once a day. But like I went that far to cover it up in case I had to take it in front of people. Yeah, it was just easier.
0: And you've alluded, it sounds like you have a history with other substance abuse.
2: I was I was in a treatment center when I was 17 for, for cocaine, but the, I was only using it for a year. My parents came in and fixed that pretty quickly. And years later, you're, you're smoking weed. you just kind of, Party. You go through college. You're drinking a lot of alcohol, and then I got married. I had kids, and I think after my first daughter was born, they gave me opiates. Actually, when I was 19, I had ACL surgery, and that's when they gave me. That's when they gave me two months first, no, two months of opiates. I got one month of Percocet after my ACL, and then the second month was all Vicodin. And I remember the first month, not including the morphine drip that I had on the first 24 hours, and I think that's when I got a taste for opiates so years later when my first daughter was born they gave them to me and i I was like wow i really remember this this is great and back then we're talking about 20 years ago i could get online and order vicodin and the fedex truck would bring it to me once a month so i was on vicodin and it took me i was on it for months and i was on some pretty high doses then and i remember we moved to my sister-in-law's house while we were waiting for our other house to be ready and i had to withdraw from that by myself because I couldn't let anybody know. And she was a recovering addict, so she would have figured it out. Uh So I remember withdrawing from that. So I already had an opiate addiction already there. And that took me a month to get out of bed, just getting off of those. I don't know how I hit it, but I did. So by the time kratom came around, I had already had the receptors, I had already had the taste for it, I had had the addiction for it. It was a it was an easy thing and it was so easy for me to convince myself that this isn't addictive. This is going to be fine. And in some ways, I felt like it kept me away from everything else. Who overdoses on kratom? Now there's more information coming out about it, but for years it was, oh, people don't die from kratom. It's because they have other things in their system. So I felt like it was safer. Didn't mean it didn't affect me though, or have negative effects on me. If that makes any sense.
0: Yes, it totally makes sense. Compared to heroin or taking a large amount of pills, it, it is relatively safer, but taking it long-term over time, there's health consequences and there are some cases of people dying from Kratom alone, seizures, things like that. But yes, it is one of the rationales that I think, Many of us started taking it. Were you, were you like in recovery when you first started Kratom? Were you clean off of the opiates or or how how was that transition?
2: No. see, So when I went to treatment, when I was younger, I was 17. And so we did, I did two years of sobriety, did the whole AA thing, did all of that. And I remember I told my sponsor back then, I was like, I'm only 19. I'm going to drink again. She didn't give me my two-year chip, which I'm still bitter about, but I because I made two years, but I did. I went away to college. I went to school and I partied like everybody else did. I didn't touch any I didn't do anything else but alcohol, smoked a little bit of weed here and there. I think I had about some coke at some point when I was about 24, just played around with it. I got married and my kids started coming and then I became your simple soccer mom. I had the Honda Odyssey. I drank your bottle of wine every night, and that's where I was for 12 years. About 10 years, and then it was Right before that, when my friend brought me Kratom, because we're working out, we're going to the gym all the time. I was healthy. I was doing triathlons. And then she's telling me about Kratom. I literally did a CrossFit competition high on Kratom <laughs> like, because I felt like it was safe. Right. And that was in the early days.
0: Yeah. I, I, I started working out three or four times a week and I wasn't doing triathlons. They were 5Ks. Um, which was not bad. Right after I had turned 50, I was trying to do the healthy thing and it gave me more energy at first. And it probably was, at first maybe the Kratom was better than drinking a bottle of wine each night. But, you know. No, and I then did it, it
2: all. I did them both. I did them both. So you, and I did, I went with the green strain because a lot of people don't like the oaks because it makes them sleepy. I They gave me energy. You give me a Percocet and I'm cleaning the house kind of thing. And so Kratom did the same thing for me. It gave me a lot of energy at the time.
0: So um, we'd do Kratom in the day and then drink wine at night.
2: Oh, him in the day, all night, all the time. Until the point, until it got to the point where it didn't take very long where I was physically addicted to it. I went full speed ahead. When I say it took about four months for it to get its hooks in me, it's about four months. And I remember there was one time I would have been taking it for about three, four months. This is why I know it took that long, because I was in Florida and I was about to get on the road and drive home to Texas. And I was running out of kratom. And these were the early days where I didn't have it. and couldn't find it just anywhere. And I was freaking out and I was had all this anxiety. And my my ex-husband was just, what's wrong with you today? And I was angry and I was irritable because I realized I was out and I didn't know if I was going to go through these withdrawals. And luckily I didn't. After about 24 hours, I was okay. And then I was like, oh, okay. So I could do three months of this. And now I pushed it. I kept pushing the limit. And that's when I know it took me about four months. And once I did that, There was no going back. There was no more getting off of it. There was, and I think I was probably about a year or two into it. My husband found out about it and I said, okay, I'm going to get off this. My mother even flew over to Texas and stayed with the kids. And I remember it took me about a week to get off it then. And I remember being awake, sleeping on the couch, going through the sweats, the nausea, all of that. But it was luckily only a week. And I was like, okay, I'm off it. Everybody knows about it. They weren't angry with me because it wasn't illegal. Okay, Kim got herself into something. Let's help her out. And that was it. And then, and We're talking 10 years ago. It was right before I got divorced. And I don't even remember how long it took, but I don't think it took more than a month before I was right back on that stuff. And now I was hiding it, right? Yes. And then I go through divorce and then there was no way I was getting off it, but I guess I was hooked again. And every time I got back on it, you're just hooked faster, right? I got back on it again and... When, after I got divorced, I got remarried and my second husband had me get off it. So I went to go see a doctor and I said, Hey, I'm on this stuff called Kratom. And he goes, what is that? This is seven years ago now. And he goes, what is that? (laughs) He was an addiction doctor and he took my urine sample and he didn't know how to test for it. He found the Adderall in there or went to alcohol or something. And he said, okay. And I tried to explain it to him. It's like an opiate. So he gave me, he didn't give me Suboxone. He gave me like phenobarbital and he gave me stuff for sleeping and So I went home and I admitted to getting off of it. And I remember being in pure hell. I remember the muscle spasms. I remember the brain zaps. I remember crying. I remember not being able to get out of bed. And that took me two months to get off. One month to get out of bed, another month of just dealing with the leg pain all the time, all day, every day. I couldn't work for two months. And the anxiety of that, because I should be at work and I don't know how they're going to, Deal with me being gone. How am I going to explain this? And I got off of it two months. And again, my marriage, my second marriage obviously wasn't the most ideal. I'm divorced again, but we suddenly, I was free from it. And then my girlfriend had a wedding out in San Diego. And I said, Oh, maybe I'll just get some for that. And I brought it. And then two weeks later, I had to fess up that. I couldn't get off of it. And it wasn't that I couldn't, it was that I was so terrified to get off of it because I knew how bad that withdrawal was. And I, only two weeks, and had I jumped off at that point, it probably wouldn't have been so bad, but I had just gotten off of it and I was so terrified. So seven years later, seven years later, I'm here now, I'm three months off of it, but it took me seven more years to get off of it because of that. I had weaned down, but that second half was just brutal. So I got stuck.
0: What happened last year that just, we've talked about this. It sounded like some things fell apart for you.
2: So being three months clean now, there's a lot of stuff that I see that's hindsight. And I can see the big picture of everything. And until I started listening to your podcast, I don't think I even really believed that had anything to do with it. I remember telling people, oh, I take this stuff cranial. What's that? Oh, it's nothing. But I was like, I don't get high. I just take exactly what I need to keep the withdrawals away. Now, mind you, I'm taking nine capsules every three hours for the last seven years. And it was probably 15 at one point. But I'd weaned myself to nine every three hours, which was a prison in and of itself. And so people were like, you should stop taking. it. I'm like, oh, no, you don't understand. You can't not take it. So it was this. This incredible prison that you're in, at every given moment, you're wondering, oh, I've got to have a meeting here, so I should take it early. Or I have to take it with me in case you get in a car accident on the road. And then what if I'm stuck there with the cops for two hours, and it's my dose, and I'm going to start to withdraw. And there was so much anxiety. At, and I would just tell people, you don't understand. I don't get high. I just don't withdraw. So it's uh-huh. okay. And I justified it like that for years And until I started listening to your podcast, when I started to hear just about everybody talks about the crippling anxiety or so many of the people that you have had on your podcast talk about that. And I didn't realize that I was living with it every single day. And since I've been clean, my coworkers and everybody's, wow, you're so much more calm. I didn't realize that I would just always be anxious, waiting for it, thinking about it, wondering if you're talking 65 pills a day, 65 capsules a day, forget about the milligrams that... Just counting that out. Well,
0: yeah, that's yeah, that's over thirty grams a day. Most of those capsules are about a half a half a gram. And how many? What were you dosing every three or four hours?
2: I was taking nine capsules every three or four hours.
0: Yep. Okay.
2: So what is that two and a half, three grams more than that? Yep. Yeah. My math is really off. So yeah. But before I weaned down, because during COVID, my ex-husband had left. He flew out of the country and he got locked down. So I didn't see him. So during that time, we're all in lockdown. I said, okay, I was probably about. 14 or 15 at a time, probably every three, four hours. And I, so I weaned down and I did the whole liposomal vitamin C. I ordered Dr. Mercola stuff and I was probably taking, I was popping those as much as I was popping the Kratom, nine and nine. I didn't care. And I want to say that it got me down to the nine, but that second half was just, as soon as I couldn't even do a one down a week, it was just impossible. The anxiety of it, and then maybe it was psychosomatic. You start feeling it, withdrawal. Or I would wake up at three in the morning and feel the withdrawals. Like my body did not like it; it was extremely angry with me after so long of using it. It was just angry.
0: And what what did you do in November to finally get off of it?
2: So I think it all just caught up with me. I think between that and I started dabbling a little bit with some ecstasy. I was microdosing that every night. I would wake up, I would drink. I'd move to gin. So now gin was my I was drinking gin probably starting about six or seven o'clock at night when the last year. And then I feel like it was the one thing that kind of helped me relax. I would wait about three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, okay, gin time is about six, seven o'clock. I could start drinking gin. I was a lot more relaxed then. And I think it just became this really vicious cycle. And then I had a couple of things happen in my life that triggered me. And I think that I was just juggling so many while I was trying to work. And I've got kids. My kids cut me off because I was drinking too much. And I... I started drinking around the clock because my shakes started getting really bad cuz I was drinking too early so I would drink in the morning so the shakes would go away. I was going to work just enough to keep the shakes away and by the night I was off to the races and that was like the last 3 months. And then something else happened that triggered me on a 5-day bender and I still don't really even remember all of it. But my family all knew that I was taking kratom and they all nobody knew what to do. Nobody knew what to say. It just it's legal. It's you can't do anything. You just they all hoped that I would do the right thing. Anyway, so I got I, I think I got a little suicidal. I got very I was off my rocker. Basically, I wrecked my car. I had the cops called on me twice. I anyway, my mother flew in from Florida and sat on my couch and said, you know what, Kimmy, there's a place. And I said, I remember it. All I remember is saying they like, get me off the crate. That was the first thing that I said. They tell me later that they were some coaxing and, and some convincing. I don't remember that part. But I just said, Yeah, I'll go. Because she said they know about the Kratom, they know how to get you off of it. And mind you, the last doctors, nobody even knew. And so I agreed to a treatment center and I went in and I was drinking all the way up to the door the next day. My brother and my mother just took my drink from me. I walked in there drunk. And I remember taking my last dose of Kratom and I walked in the door. <laughs> and that was it. And I remember the anxiety was through I was insanely anxious and terrified. And you know, the stories they tell me. I kept saying it. I didn't need to be there. They started me on Suboxone on day one, and it was a medical detox. I stayed in detox for five days. There was like four days, five days. And they put me on Ativan and Suboxone, and they said, we don't do a long-term Suboxin withdrawal. So if that's what you want, we'll send you someplace else, but this is how we do it. And for whatever reason, she started me on a low-dose of they peaked. They peaked me up to day three. And then they started to bring me down again. And the Ativan, I didn't, I don't take downers, I don't take Xanax or any of that. So I was a mess. I apparently don't really remember my five days of detox either. People tell me that I met them, I don't remember, but I oh. do remember the fifth day when they were taking me off of it. And I remember going to see the doctor and I said, what are you doing? Don't do this. This takes two months to do this. I've done this before. And she, she calmed me down a lot. And she said, you know, we've done our research. We know how this works. What we do now is we front load you with the Suboxone because it calms down your central nervous system. And then by the time we get you off of it, your nervous system doesn't freak out. And the amazing thing was that when I came to on day six in the daytime, I actually felt fine. I was like, this is a miracle. This is unbelievable. And I I remember even asking them for more Ativan and they wouldn't give it to me. I guess I thought that stuff was pretty cool. But the only thing I did have issues with was sleeping. And that is something that I still deal with today. It could be the Kratom still. I'm on day 95 or something right now. And I still, I wake up eight times a night. It could be the alcohol reset. It could be the Kratom. Who knows what it is. But. I, the first week was the absolute worst and I didn't sleep more than three hours a night. And that's only because I'd be so tired at five in the morning, my body would just drop off, but I couldn't even fall asleep because my legs would be shaking. I would get the brain zaps. All those withdrawals at the nighttime were sheer hell. And that was the worst part of it for me. And I kept, they kept trying to give me Seroquel and then they would give me, try to just knock me out. And I'm like, it's not working. I'm going to stay awake through it. And there was one night it was like I had cerebral palsy. I assume. I if I wasn't wide awake and even trying to my body was just moving all by itself and I could feel the muscles charging up. So it wasn't even like I could relax until I jerked. It was like you feel the charge and then it jerked and you feel the charge and it jerked. It kept going. And then they finally ended up putting give me Rabaxin or something. It was like uh, then give me enough. And eight days later I finally said, Target the muscles, forget about my sleep, just target the muscles. And it was as if the doctor in the in the treatment center was. By that point, she was learning with me. She would come back to me, let me know how that works, and I would report back to her. She said, "Okay, I hear Robaxin is good for kratom withdrawals. Let's try this." And she was just, and she was amazing. She would listen to me. She would spend time with me a lot more than so many others because she was learning about this, and because more and more people are coming in with kratom use. But I'm sitting in there in this treatment center with fentanyl users going, what's your DOC? And I'm like, Kratom. They go, what's that? And not only that, I hate to say it, they're fentanyl users, but there's a hierarchy too. They're like, oh, it's just Kratom. I'm like, no, you try to get off this. It's the same. It's the same. And actually now I don't even tell people about the Kratom. They just know that I, I was in a treatment center for alcohol because I don't even bother to tell them because people don't know.
0: Yeah. How many days was the treatment?
2: I was in there. It was 35 days minimum. Five day detox. I ended up being there 42 days.
0: And so. it sounds like the main medical intervention was a rapid Suboxone taper. Yep. And yep. Then, then they used some other helper meds like Seroquel and Adivan to help you.
2: Yeah. And then- so they took me off. The, it wasn't even a taper. The Suboxone was the taper. The Kratom was cold turkey. That was my last dose Suboxone. They immediately put that in me with the Adivan to calm down the anxiety of it because I was a I really was a mess. I was terrified of the withdrawals, and everybody was to everybody. Everybody would tell me that, yeah. So five days of boxing out of bed at the same time to keep the anxiety away, and then from there it was get me to sleep to get through those night times, and it was two months because after I got out of there they couldn't give me the prescription for the reboxin because it was controlled, so they moved me to something called tizanidine, which was a little bit lower. And then I was released from the treatment center. I went into a sober house, which I have actually just vacated. I came home again about three days ago. So I'm learning to sleep at home again. But yeah, it took me another month or so for me to stop taking the tizanidine for the restless leg syndrome at nighttime. So we're talking two months easily. I'm still back at that two-month mark. And to be honest with you, I don't need it at night to sleep anymore. But I can tell you this morning, I still took Advil. Because my legs ache a little bit and maybe it's psychosomatic. I don't know what it is, but I twice a day, I think I still take Advil in the daytime because I can still feel my legs aching. And we're talking three months later,
3: but yeah. I imagine
2: after 10 years, I'm not really surprised. I'm truly at some point, I was worried that maybe I had done some irreversible damage to my, my brain. I was scared about that. I really wasn't sure if this, if I would ever get out of something like this but at least mm-hmm. I was moving in the right direction. But yeah, there was that was a solid fear for me.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like some people report when they take Kratom, it reduces their cravings to drink and stuff, but it doesn't look like it that worked for you. <laughs> that-
2: Maybe in the beginning, it would reduce it if you're getting high off of it. And if you're using it recreationally, and if you can control that, I'm an addict through and through, right? You have, you've managed it here and there in certain parts of your life, but if like, so you don't have your coping skills, it's going to stuff happens, right? I could see in the very beginning, sure, I could be high on kratom and not really want to drink anything else, but it's like smoking weed, right? You smoke weed and I drink maybe a beer or two and I don't even need it, barely feel it. But after a while, when you get to the level that I was at, you don't get high anymore. I could take 15 and not get high anymore. So at that point, yeah, there is no, now when I'm taking 15 and I'm drinking and I'm taking ecstasy at night and I'm taking Adderall in the morning to deal with my hangover so I could go to work or just, and everything just became normal. And so when you do so much Kratom, it's, there is nothing that's, no, I never did meth. No, I never did heroin or fentanyl, but everything just became a normal everyday thing. Oh, let me just take one of those. I'll just take one of those. Mm -hmm. Kratom just becomes normal and it's your baseline. It was as normal as oxygen for me and everything else just came on top of it. And so I think for me, the answer was cold turkey quit everything and stop everything at this point. Yeah.
0: And that's probably good. All that mixing is actually really dangerous when it comes to Kratom because the Kratom inhibits some of the enzymes, the way your, your brain processes some of those similar substances. And so it's it's a good thing that you got off all those things. Yeah, I
2: think about that ecstasy, even though I didn't take the whole pill ever, I would only take a quarter of it at night and sometimes I'd bump it a little bit. But I can honestly tell you, hindsight, I think that might have been what sped me up to my downfall because I did that for about a year and it wasn't every night, but probably every other night, sometimes three times in a row. And one day I remember not taking it for a week and I felt really depressed. And somebody, even my dealer said to me, oh, I wait two weeks before I take it again. And I was like, really? So maybe that's what this is. And so now if I think about it, it really probably did mess with my brain. I crashed and burned really quickly.
0: And congratulations getting out of the sober living. What types of supports are you doing now to Support your abstinence and to stay this pathway.
2: For now, I, yeah, I'm in the AA program. I go to meetings. I finally, after three months, agreed to get a sponsor. I got one. I was hesitant because I did, I did all of that. I did that 30 years ago. And I remember not, yeah, I didn't want, I don't want to live in that program. I don't want to do that. But when I came out of treatment and even coming back to sober living, that was really just, it was a step. I still have my life. I still go to work. I still have my cat. I still come home. I still was living my life. But To be honest, I was more humbled when I came out and I have been so much happier that, you know what, if this is going to keep me happy for right now, it's, and I hate this cliche of it, but it is one day at a time. And just for right now and for today, I'm just so happy exactly how I am that I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm more, you know, if anybody ever worries about a relapse, they should worry more about the alcohol than ever Kratom because if I ever have to see one again, like I have so much hate for it right now. So
0: Have you been able to start, rebuild some of your relationships in your life?
2: Oh, absolutely. I have three children. One is 21, 18, and 15, and they had cut me off probably about three, four months before. They're all back in my life. I got two texts today from two of them that just said, I miss you, mommy, right? Everybody's back in my life, and I don't even think I realized how angry I was before. I cut so many people out, and everybody's back. So it's and it's not even just because they found out about it. It's more that I've reached out that I'm happier. Yeah, absolutely. It just falls back into place. I've had a lot of my bosses even said he's I like this Kim better than that one before.
0: It's great to get feedback so quickly that you're doing better, all areas of your life. Yes. So with all your withdrawals, what what seemed to help the most, other than the meds? With all of my withdrawals, what helped the most? Yeah.
2: I don't think there was anything that helped at all except for the meds. (laughs) Okay. No, I can tell you, I, three times I withdrew really the second to that last time, seven years ago, none of nothing he gave me helped me. I remember taking phenobarbital and still spasming through it. Just I was more exhausted. This last time was probably the most educated, the most knowledgeable, and the most dependable withdrawal I'd ever had, but I think i re- I remember talking to you about this earlier uh had i here's the thing that's dangerous, and i'm and I'd, sometimes I'm hesitant to say what would be the easiest way if I were to ask somebody tell somebody how what do you do to, to prepare to get off of it? The thing that scares me is had I not had to do two kratom withdrawals on my own and I hadn't had to experience the sheer hell of what it was. And I had just for the first time said, okay, I'm going to go to this place. They're going to get me off of it. And it's going to be easy. That's the best way. Cause I heard that if, if that had happened to me and I had gotten the suboxone withdrawal the first time, there's no way that I would have not gone back to it. And I did even after that. Right. But because I knew how bad it was, that's, what's going to keep me. I'm grateful for the last time it uh-huh. still was bad, but it was, it could have been so much worse. But had I not had that smooth transition on the last one, I still remember how bad those other ones were. But if it was the first time and I got that, I don't know if I could do it or if I would do it, right? I think it saved me. And it's why when I reached out to you, I was so compassionate about it because the truth is, it is absolutely addicting. It is absolute hell. It is like getting off of an opiate. It is horrible to get off of. And it's not out there. People don't know how bad it is. Don't start. If you have any addictive bone in your body, don't even start it. Some people can say, oh, it's not strong enough or they'll go for the other stuff. But I never was. I was never a fentanyl user. I was never hardcore. And that I never went in that direction. So this to me was a functioning drug that I could do every day and manage it just like anybody else is an alcoholic and they're just functioning, a functional alcoholic. I was a functioning addict. Right. And it was so easy to justify. And that's the scary part about it. And because it's so accessible.
0: Yeah. And you blink, and five, 10 years later, you've been on it for that long. And uh, yes. Yep. yep.
2: And I'm still dealing with, it. like I said, I'm still not sleeping right. I'm still dealing with the legs is how long is this going to go on to? And it's just, you're right. I blinked and here I am I'm 10 years older.
0: Yeah. And give it more time. Everybody's, trajectory of recovery is different and yours was compounded with the the poly substance abuse it is probably difficult is it the booze is it the kratom I have been off of booze for four years and kratom a year and so I was able to separate the differences but I found the kratom this was like a transfer addiction and and at the end I wanted to. I got to the point like you were like I might as well just drink because I'm not getting high anymore and I'm not sober anymore and I could relate at the end. I was, I never was a gin drinker, but the the last couple of years (laughs) I got into the gin too.
2: Oh, yeah. I switched to liquor. I went from wine to liquor because I was still working out and I wanted to drop my carbs. And so the wine had too many carbs. And I remember when I switched to whiskey, I was drinking whiskey on the rocks because I was like, Oh, there's no carbs in that. I can drink that. It's, and then I realized, well, that's much more effective and that's less calories, less carbs. I went to whiskey and then I moved to gin with the sugar free tonic and that was it. And then they became in these big giant. Water cups with a straw, those big Yeti cups. And then I was like putting all gin in there and a splash of tonic. And that was my drink. So it just, it escalated completely. I do blame a lot of the kratom on that. It's not that. Listen, I've got an addictive personality regardless, and I know that. And as I said, I think it kept me off the opiates. I remember somebody gave me Oxycontin, and I remember being afraid to try it. I didn't want to mix the two, and I had to be on the kratom. And I know I could take the Oxy in front instead of the kratom, but then I was like, no, the last thing I want to do is get on the Oxy because now it's stronger, and I know I like it even better. So I hung on to that thing and gave it away. So in some ways, I justified the use of it. And so whether it actually saved my life or not, I don't know. I am where I am. I'm happy where I am. This has been my journey. I'm just happy to bring awareness to it. So I'm I'm really impressed with your podcast. I love what you're doing. And I was excited to find it. And to yes. hear other people's stories. Because as you said it once in the beginning, you were like, this is a lonely addiction. And it really was. Oh, I didn't have a Reddit thread back when I was trying to figure it out. I didn't even know about it. I had some heroin user tell me that I had to use vi- vitamin C, liposomal. And I was even, I even had the the contraption. I was making the liquid myself for a long time until Dr. McCullough came out with that stuff. But it, it was exhausting. It was just exhausting.
0: Let's switch gears a little bit, lighter notes. Let's start talking a little bit about music. Uh, what kind of music do you like?
2: Oh, I listen to a little bit of everything. I think it just depends on my mood, but it's funny. I've been collecting playlists and Yeah. I don't even have a regular genre. It just depends on my mood. I was driving back from, I was driving back from Houston the other day and I actually put on some tech house and I was like, wow. I remember my ex-husband used to listen to it all the time and I hated it, but I suddenly was just, I drove back with that in my ear and full blast, just in the zone, listening to tech house. And I was just loving it. So it's almost as I've gotten happier, my music genre has changed a little bit of reggae now, not so serious, not so sad, not so intense, just happy stuff so it just changed my personality and i'm open to anything historically i listen to a lot of broadway but it's not fun for people
0: <laughs> and yeah. if you were going to do some traveling if money wasn't any an issue where would you like to visit
2: this is a it's a funny question that you asked that i saw that on your questionnaire you know that all of these years i've always said i wanted to go to thailand i always wanted to go to thailand and i remember thinking i can't go to thailand because kratom's illegal there Right, I've been to Africa, I've been to Europe, and I've traveled everywhere, and it's always legal, so I always have to carry it with me. But the one place I never could go, and the one place I always wanted to go, and this is one of the most exciting things for me, is that I want to go to Thailand, and that is on my bucket list now.
0: All right, that is absolutely where I want to go. That's my next plan. So, if you were gonna, if somebody was gonna approach you and ask you what would be your, and they wanted the quick kratom, what would be your top tip or your top tips for them to quick kratom now that you have a little bit. Of this in your rear view mirror?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of factors to that. It's how much are you taking? How long have you been on it? Because it's going to depend on how much energy I'm going to put into actually giving you my advice, <laughs> right? Yeah. But if you're somebody who's just a regular user every once in a while, hey, I would say go ahead and try the vitamin C liposomal. It really did help me. It helped me on a base level. You have to Google the amounts. You can find that stuff online now. There's some other supplements that you can take, and it was very helpful. If you're a serious user like I was, and if you're really serious, then I would just I would say go find yourself a doctor who knows about Kratom and go for the suboxin. the short term. I wholeheartedly disagree with the long-term suboxin trade because you're trading up to Suboxone, but definitely that five-day absolutely does work. Absolutely. That's what I would say.
0: Okay. And if you're going to give yourself a note, a message to your future self in like March, 2025, what would you tell your future Kim?
2: I saw that question and I really have no idea. But I I know where likely I'll be exactly where I'm at today in a year from now. Just one more year away from it and hopefully a little bit farther down and healing the relationships and the damage that I've done. There's a lot of consequences that I'm still dealing with. I expect and hope to be that much farther away from where I'm at. I went to the Houston Rodeo the other day, and I'm not kidding you. That was the worst experience of my life. I went there, and I couldn't figure out why people were there because I wasn't drinking, and I wanted to drink so badly just to deal with the crowds, and that was the first trigger that I had. And I got out of there. I arrived there. It took me hours to get there, walked in there, and 30 minutes later, I was like, I'm leaving. I had to leave. I had to get out of there. And it, I really, nothing ever really makes me want to drink, but that one did.
0: Yeah, I find the crowds should be triggering more than like, it being a wet place, but just and then if it's the crowd is rowdy and drunk. That um, and that
2: was probably it. I was claustrophobic, you were sardined in there, and everybody's dressed in cowboy hats and cowboy boots. And it was it was just this isn't even fun. Like why, why am I even yeah. standing here? So well, I've learned that's not my thing. Crowds are not the thing. Don't go to the Houston Rodeo. Yeah.
0: Do you have any questions for me?
2: No, I, like I said, I found your, my brother had sent me a link on NPR. I was at my conference three weeks ago and he sent me something on NPR and Cradle, And I was like, wow, NPR is covering this. This is a big deal. And then I was like, there's got to be more out there then. So that's when I Googled and your podcast came right up. So it was very easy to find you. And that's when I started listening to it. And I was super impressed with you. And just I know that when you started that last summer, I think you were just, what, a month out of it.
0: Yeah, last March I quit, and then I yeah, the first episode was April 30th. Yes, the early days I, I used it just to get through the week. Oh, I have to do an episode this week. I'm hosting this thing. I can't really use Kratom. That, that would be a bad idea, <laughs> even if I was having a bad week. The podcast got in the way of every time. How was, how um, was your withdrawal? Did you withdraw uh, or you just quit? I, yeah, I went cold turkey I try, I had a bunch of fail. I was doing the extracts and I had an imperative with money because I was getting up. My tolerance got so high. The last two weeks I was doing six extracts a day, Wow! which was like, and I was bought, they were 20 a shot. Or if what? I drove a little bit farther, I could get two for 30. Wow. So I was spending 80, 90 bucks a day. Oof. And, and I only did that for two or three weeks at that high level. I had to do two at a time before and and every day was going to be my last day and that that went from January 1st to March 23rd so i had to quit just cuz i was getting broke and i wasn't i was just i was taking it to to prevent the withdrawals i wasn't i had to take two at a time to even feel anything but yeah my i went cold turkey i insomnia was the worst i didn't sleep right for a couple weeks one of those weeks i was i did thc gummies and that that finally helped a little bit. I made the mistake of taking Benadryl, like a over the counter sleep Ooh. meds one night. And that was the only time I had RLS. So I didn't, I was lucky I didn't have restless leg syndrome. So I can't take but, Benadryl um, to this
2: day because I was using that seven years ago to help me sleep and it made it worse.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, don't, I highly recommend not doing that. So in the end, with my sleeplessness, I would just go for like at one o'clock in the morning, I'd go for a walk for an hour. And then I'd come home, I would draw a bath, I would take a cold shower for just a minute or two. I can't, I'm too wimpy to do a cold plunge. (laughs) Me too. It would shock my system, the cold water. Then I would jump in the hot bath and between the walk and that, it it would knock me out. That was like the most effective thing that I found. And then my second symptom was I had real bad gastrointestinal problems, like just it, yeah.
2: Um, it Rex. It, it wreaks some havoc there. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I had just, I was liquid bowel movements for a long time, too much information. So eventually the, what helped with that was I fasted for a couple of days and I took, I had some kefir, which is a, like a probiotic yogurt drink. Mm-hmm. I replaced a couple of meals with that and that kind of reset my system like three or four weeks in. And within a month I was back to, um, Normal. I had lethargy the second month. And then by the third month, I got my energy back, but I had trouble with focus. It was like, bye bye, 90 days. And I've had some withdrawal, not withdrawal, some pause. And I'm back to my, some of the reasons why I took great low energy. I'm not this, I'm not in, in my fifties. I'm, I don't feel like I, even how I was in, in my mid forties. Just I'm aging, low grade depression. Yeah. So those were, the Kratom kind of solved those at first. So now I got to figure out, I think there's some more exercise and diet stuff that I can do. All right. Anything else you'd like to say to wrap up?
2: No, that was it. So if you have any more questions or anything, just give me a call back. I'm here.
0: Thanks a lot for appearing. I'm sure your story will help others. And- and we'll pass it on. Nice meeting you. And, and they say don't mess with te- don't mess with Texas, huh?
2: I'm in a Yankee. I'm from Connecticut originally. I've just been here because my kids are here. So it's okay. I don't think I want to die here, but it'll do for now.
1: So, Got it. Yeah.
3: Freedom in the headlines. Hi, everybody. This is Jacob, and this week we have an article for you from the Washington Post in their health section that came out on the 20th of February of this year, and talking about kratom deaths. And the article is entitled, They Take Kratom to Ease Pain or Anxiety, Sometimes Death Follows. So we will link this article in the show notes as always. But to summarize, it's a lengthy article that covers The story of a person person in Texas who was 33 years old, had a seizure while walking with his mother through Midland, Texas airport, and ultimately passed away, and talks about how this was hardly an isolated episode. The Washington Post conducted a review of federal and state statistics that shows medical examiners and coroners are increasingly blaming deaths on kratom. And this is one of the first times we've seen this type of analysis combined for the United States on a whole. And in this case, they were able to get statistics from 44 states and the District of Columbia. The sample size was from 2020 through 2022. And at least 4,100 deaths were caused or contributed to by Kratom. The article highlights that Only a small fraction of those deaths were kratom only deaths. Many were in combination with other substances, and also that in that time period there were three thousand or three hundred thousand overall overdose deaths in the U.S. So it's really a small fraction of that three thousand or three hundred thousand. Excuse me. So still not insignificant. The article goes on to highlight uh, that. There's dozens upon dozens of wrongful deaths sprouting, uh, sprouting up across the country as a result of these deaths. It highlights the fact that people often use Kratom in the hopes of relieving pain, easing anxiety, etc. It highlights the advocacy for Kratom and the groups that argue that the statistics are misleading because the cases nearly all always involve other drugs they consistent with their position they blame the food and drug administration for not doing enough while simultaneously saying that Kratom is a food and not a drug which is a contradictory statement in my opinion how can you need to regulate something as a drug if it's a food anyway they also do some more detailed analysis and highlight that essentially out of that 44846 of those cases in 30 states in dc and were in 2020 alone and that's up from 834 in 2021 and up from statistics in years previous. So it also talks about how records from states are not always uniform and highlights some of the specific information in both Michigan and Texas as well as Florida also talks a little bit about some positive use cases from some folks that they talked to as an interview or has some information from a discussion that was had with a representative from the American Kratom Association and talks a bit about how they believe Kratom may also interfere with enzymes that break down other medications, potentially enhancing the effects of certain prescription medications how specific that is unclear. Researchers at Washington State are still looking into that launching a clinical trial now to see how kratom actually affects the processing of a popular painkiller oxycodone. There's a lot in this article. I could probably talk for another five minutes on it, probably even longer to be quite honest. So we'll link it in the show notes. I think the last thing I'll say is most overdose deaths in the country and in the world are poly substance abuse and usage deaths. Even most opiate overdoses often include benzodiazepines or multiple opiate substances, combination with alcohol, etc. So the stressing of, hey... You can't blame Kratom because there were other things involved, in my opinion, is not a good argument because you could say the same thing about fentanyl or heroin or other things. So it does not, in my opinion, reduce the danger that could be associated with Kratom. Now, that's not to fearmonger or scare anybody, as we highlight in, as I highlighted, I should say earlier in the segment, that 4,100 deaths over a two year period where 300,000 Americans died from drug overdoses on a whole is a small fraction, and there's quite a large number of people using Kratom now in the country, and it's still a a small amount of people that have died, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a risk there and that if you're going to continue to use Kratom, you shouldn't be aware of those risks. A really good article, all in all, and that is Kratom in the headlines for this week.
0: Resource of the week. We'll put in the show notes the link that Kim referenced in her interview to a TED-like talk about tackling depression and fitness and other mental health issues. In full disclosure, I still haven't listened to it yet, but I plan on to this week myself. I'm going to play a clip from something I found on SoundCloud about Kratom addiction. And I believe it was written by... In using artificial intelligence, and it definitely used a AI voice to read the article. And despite that, it is on point, and I think it really explains some of the issues that we explored in this episode: the difference between dependency and addiction, how to find a treatment center if you have a
4: severe kratom addiction. The main active compounds in kratom leaves are mitragynine and 7-hydroxymitragynine. Kratom compounds activate opioid receptors in the brain. This is what produces Kratom's effects, including potential for drug addiction. In small doses, Kratom acts as a stimulant. In larger doses, it has an opioid-like effect of euphoria, relaxation, and pain relief. With regular use over time, your body can become dependent on these compounds, making it challenging to stop using Kratom. Kratom has high potential for addiction. In the US, People use kratom to manage pain and opioid withdrawal. Quite often, people believe kratom is safe because it is natural. But it's the effects of kratom that can lead to issues similar to opioid addiction. Some key facts about the addictive potential of kratom uncontrolled use of strong commercial kratom products in the U.S. may need regulation. More research is still required on the long term effects and safety of chronic kratom use. Kratom activates the brain's opioid receptors much like opioid painkillers. This can lead to dependence and addiction. Withdrawal symptoms are possible with heavy kratom use over an extended period of time. Long-term kratom use can result in cravings, difficulty stopping, tolerance, and withdrawal symptoms on cessation. The Food and Drug Administration (FDA) has identified kratom compounds as opioids with potential for abuse and addiction. The Drug Enforcement Administration DEA, lists kratom as a drug of concern due to its addiction potential. What is kratom addiction? Addiction means being unable to control kratom use. It leads to bad effects on life. Addicts take more kratom to get the same feeling. This is called tolerance. If they try to quit, they get sick. This sickness is withdrawal. Signs of kratom addiction include Strong cravings for kratom Using it even if it causes money or relationship problems Avoiding people to take kratom Driving or using kratom unsafely Taking more kratom to get the same effect. Feeling sick if trying to stop. Tolerance. Addicts need more kratom to feel the same effects. They take bigger doses or use it more often. Withdrawal. Addicts feel sick if they can't take kratom. They get symptoms like muscle aches, anxiety, runny nose, and poor sleep. Loss of control. Addicts take more kratom than planned. They try unsuccessfully to cut back or quit. They spend a lot of time using, thinking of using, or recovering from use life disruption Kratom use causes issues with work, school, money, relationships or the law. But people keep using anyway. Cravings Addicts feel strong urges to use kratom. They use it in risky situations like before driving. Risky use Addicts use kratom in unsafe ways or when pregnant. They keep using despite physical or mental health problems. If you notice some of these addiction signs in yourself or a loved one, you likely need treatment understanding drug addiction kratom is a substance that can cause addiction millions of americans are struggling with addiction it is not a choice addicts need support not shame genetics and environment shape brains differently some are more prone to addiction trauma and mental illness often come first they try to self-medicate pain drugs alter the reward center cravings and withdrawal result use increases to chase the high tolerance builds needing more drug lying hides growing problems work and relationships suffer guilt and despair set in self-worth plummets getting clean feels impossible fear of detox stops them shame prevents asking for help stigma calls them immoral but addiction is a disease dopamine pathways are hijacked drugs become all-consuming recovery takes time support and relapse prevention behavioral therapy helps change habits medication assists with cravings support groups provide community healing past trauma is key Addicts need empathy, not judgment. Change is possible with patience and care. Recovery is a lifelong process. Their journey matters more than past mistakes. With compassion, we can make a difference. Seeking help is the first step towards recovery from Kratom addiction. To find treatment options, call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA, Treatment Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. This free, confidential service can assist you 24-7 in locating treatment. Check the SAMHSA Behavioral Health Treatment Services locator. Search for Kratom addiction treatment programs by location, type of care offered, payment options, and other filters. Contact local Kratom addiction treatment centers. Ask questions, learn about their programs and success rates, and see if they accept your insurance coverage. Consider inpatient rehab for intensive treatment, especially if outpatient programs have not been successful. 30 to 90-day residential programs focus fully on recovery away from triggers. Look into medically supervised detox to safely manage withdrawal symptoms before starting substance abuse counseling and therapy. Look for a suboxone doctor near you with experience treating Kratom addiction. Bottom line for treatment for Kratom addiction. Kratom may seem harmless, but long-term use can lead to dependence and addiction. Withdrawal symptoms, cravings, Building tolerance and life disruption indicate when Kratom use has become unhealthy. Professional treatment combined with support and healthy lifestyle changes can overcome addiction. If you recognize Kratom addiction in yourself or someone you care about, reach out for help today. A treatment center can guide you through detox, counseling, building relapse prevention skills, and learning to enjoy life and recovery. And
0: thanks for listening. And until next week, keep it Kratom free.